Welcome to Ammonite Movie Night, the show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Uh, we are Ammonite Inc. I'm Kevin. With me, as always, is my broadcast partner, Jared. How's it going, Jared? It's going well, thank you. We're living in it, bud. Christmas time is here. Happiness and cheer and the rest of all those lyrics. Do those lyrics mention snow? You know, oh God, I don't know. I don't know. I should have watched Charlie Brown Christmas. I didn't. I feel irresponsible. <sighs> this is like This is like being Jewish and not watching Fiddler around Hanukkah. Come on, Kevo. Well, I'll never have that mistake again. <laughs> well, one ever. out of two ain't bad, I suppose. <laughs> um, so, look, it's our last show of the year. Year one of Ammonite Inc. is technically in the books. Um, and before we get started, I, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who somehow has listened to us in the last four months. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your kind wishes, your compliments, your constructive criticism, your technical notes, your propaganda campaigns. Thank you for not spoiling Spider-Man No Way Home for at least another two or three weeks, uh, please. And, and thank you for listening to our show. Ammonite Nation, you are the real ones. Thank you. You haven't seen Spider-Man? Nah, dude. I can't, I, I, just an hour ago, I, we had to you. cancel I'm, Christmas. I'm messing with you. I'm sorry. How dare you? My my rule of thumb this year was if I can't see Spider-Man, I'm certainly not going to see my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, like, and so, and so, that has been the law. That is the rule of God. As decreed by young Kevin over here. I think because you've been watching so much stuff, maybe I'll go first. Yeah, go ahead. Um, because the COVID booster kicked my ass. So I only had enough energy to, to finish sex in the city over the weekend, <laughs> which, which, uh, will be talked about at a later date. Um, I did watch two movies this week. Um, Joe Bob Briggs on shutter did his Christmas special double feature. And, uh, the first show, like my, my booster, my booster side effects started to come in as, the credits of Clint Howard's Ice Cream Man was rolling. Do you know this movie? <laughs> no, I don't. I want to hear about it. So, obviously, if we talk about any actor on the show, they're an Ammonite Inc. legend, right? So, obviously, a couple weeks ago, Clint Howard was in Austin Powers 1. Mm-hmm. Why? We'll never know. But actually, around that time, he plays a creepy Ice Cream Man in the Ice Cream Man movie. Oh. And, you know, uh, the movie fucking sucks. Lovely. <laughs> it's not it's not even particularly funny, but there are so many decapitated heads on ice cream cones that I can't not recommend you at least check out the Joe Bob cut oh, with his wow. little segments. That actually sounds really good. It's, I'm into that. It's pretty rad. Um, I don't know. I, I had fun with it, but I don't know if I would recommend it to any human on Earth. Could, um, could someone get away with looking at um, photo stills of the heads on ice cream cones? Oh yeah, go look that up awesome. and and l- watch a couple clips of the movie to get an idea of the score, because the score is like this. Uh, kind of reminded me of the Rugrats score. Remember the first couple years of Rugrats, where it was that really rough, sketchy, uh, kind of soft lined Klasky Chupo animation. Uh, I was never a. Uh, oh right, you weren't kid. like a Nickelodeon kid. I was not a Nickelodeon kid. Bad analogy. So. But I can I can get well, the feeling. It, I've, I've looked at a Klasky classy supo cartoon i think i get i think i can know what it sounds like by looking at it once you know imagine you took a toy xylophone and pushed it down a flight of stairs it's kind of what ice cream man sounds like oh my gosh that's the um pitch. and then that's a pitch right so there. that's ice cream man not a lot to say <laughs> <laughs> it was bad um but uh 
I also watched the new Aaron Sorkin movie. So we had to delay recording a day. And in that day, I watched one movie and it was being the Ricardos, the new Aaron Sorkin. (laughs) Um, For those of you who don't know, this is Aaron Sorkin's uh, third film he directed because he did Molly's Game, which I didn't see, but apparently was good. And everyone is eating their words now because we get one of these every Oscar season now. Um, Last year was Trial of the Chicago 7, which I didn't think was horrible, but but certainly not what I would expect from Aaron Sorkin and super overindulgent of all of his worst traits. And here we are again with Being the Ricardos, which has the most walk and talk, boring Sorkin banter in a really misguided shotgun blast of a script that just stacks up all these uh, storylines to pretty much no end. I would have loved this if it were either a miniseries or someone else's movie. <laughs> um, Sorkin's script, because the script is there, but someone else's movie. Because he indulges himself so much in this. Like, the table read scenes are as unbearable as you could imagine an Aaron Sorkin table read of an I Love Lucy episode to be. Oh. Um, and the thing that sucks the most is that the acting... Besides that they had Tony Hale be the EP mm-hmm. of I Love Lucy. And he's so, they, they have this, his, the, the role is written to be so aggressive. Really? And so Buster For Bluth has to be, yeah. So Buster Bluth has to be this like asshole. It's very odd. Um, but all the other, I mean, and he's good in spots, but when he has to be aggro, it's totally not. I, I'm happy he made the choices. I'm happy he did the role so we can all see. Yeah. Um, but go back to being nice, Tony Hill. Yeah, it's just his face. I could not take a, someone who looks like that as an asshole. Yeah. So he looks too sweet. I don't know. Unless he's been an asshole. I don't know. I think he's been on Veep. But anyway, the point of it is Javier Bardem sings Babalu. And I was like, there's no way this is going to be better than Javier Bardem as Desi Arnaz singing Babalu. And then they come back to the club and he does Cuban Pete. And I will say this is not one of my favorite movies of the year. But if you were to ask me my favorite moments of the year, I think top five would definitely be Javier Bardem doing Cuban Pete. All right. Um, it's It rips. It's so awesome. I need Amazon to clip this out of the movie and put it up on YouTube now so I can just tell people to watch that instead. Um. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's probably on YouTube in some capacity by now. Most things end up on YouTube. Uh, within I, like a I mean, it's been up 12 hours, so who knows? Oh, yeah. Look, man, I've, I've spoiled most of uh, the, that Spider-Man movie just from YouTube clips that I just came across while high the other day. Oh, yeah. I mean... I already know by accident most of the story of the movie, and I know what I'm going to think of it. Um, I think the less said about that on this show, the better, even less than Spider-Verse, which I, I personally uh, love. But uh, anyway, no no Spider-Talk this week. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? Oh, I've made a big meme this year of the Nicole Kidman AMC ad. A lot of listeners of the show know that I've been going around online talking about this a lot. And uh, she's brilliant as Lucille Ball halfway through the movie on but that first half of the movie it's almost like she's warming up into it like you're at a preview of the play of this film and she hasn't quite gotten it interesting yet um she also is wearing these prosthetics that don't quite like why did we do that very weird film (laughs) i mean is it something you'd recommend or is it just like i don't know man you know if you're 
Excuse me, I have a cat situation sure. here. I don't know, man. If you're a fan of I Love Lucy, this is already on your watch list and you're already going to watch it. If you're an Aaron Sorkin fan, fuck yeah, dude. Absolutely. This is the Super Bowl for you. It's another one of his films. So, <laughs> uh, well, The Super Bowl is annual, though, right? I guess so, yeah. I mean, well, look, Chicago 7 last oh, year. No, Although, right. Chicago 7, Chicago 7 was more like like in his wheelhouse. Yeah, fair. He tried to he tried to take something else and put it in his wheelhouse. I don't know. Um, mixed bag. I would recommend you check it out. I mean, if you have Prime, then it's only about an uh, and a half hour through this movie to know if you're going to like the rest. Okay. So, what a ringing endorsement. <laughs> um, before we get out of my stuff, uh, I will also say, I know last last week I said that Kevin will read all of One Piece in 2022. Um, no movement on that front because it's 2021 fuckers. Leave me alone. There you go. Uh, Kevin will also finish Ultraman in 2022. No movement on that front. Uh, I'm off next week. So that's all I have to say about Ultraman. The submarine, the submarine does uh, not have to resurface until 2022, my man. So you want to be my friend, uh, Jared, you've been watching quite a lot. Yeah. I had a, I just sort of sat, sat down one weekend and figured I'm going to watch movies. I watched one, two. I actually watched more than six, but I'm gonna. These are the six I'm gonna talk about, and they'll be they'll be shorts. I mean, they're. I'm starting with the Matrix. We all we already know how we feel about the Matrix. It came out twenty two years ago. We know how we feel about this movie. And Jared, at press time, at press time, the Matrix Resurrections will have been out for hours. Oh goodness. Goodness. I will have already seen it. Oh wow! I did not. I think I did not realize how close it was to streaming. I thought it was a little later in December. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, it's tomorrow. Later in December, it's December twenty first. <laughs> what happened to October? <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about Shin yeah. Halloween. Yeah, we're talking. Yeah, we're talking Shin Halloween this week. Um, yeah, I will say not to get too inside baseball about it. I will be watching The Matrix 4 before touching these audio files tomorrow. <laughs> Understandable. I'm going to I'm going to put up a a thing saying like whoops the the show will come out tonight or t- Thursday and then I will be watching The Matrix 4 because it's the Matrix this is 4. who I am. It's The Matrix 4. It happens four times in a man's life that a new Matrix movie comes out. <laughs> hey hey hey, I bet um, but what I bet it, have, anyway, I bet there's a fifth somewhere out there. I think that Warner Brothers would love that. I think, I think, uh, well, I hope Lily wants to come back for it because it's just Lana for this fourth one. We'll see how it turns out. Reviews are out, and that's all I'll say. What did you think of this watch of the original? Oh, it's just as good as every single other time. It is the ultimate. I left my DVD in the, in the, uh, in the player, and I'm just sort of listening to the menu as I'm half asleep on my, uh, on my little chair in my room. When I was like fifteen or whatever. Uh, not gonna lie, I'm starting. I'm starting to agree with um, the trader in the group. What's his name? I gotta get his name. Oh, Joey Pants. Yeah, Cipher or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's Cipher. Ignorance is bliss. Uh, not ignorance is bliss, but man, I'd really hate to have to sit around and have gruel instead of a fake steak. 
Um, Trinity. It is a pretty good argument. Yeah. It's like, yes, that's authentic, but man, that stick looked good. I'd be okay. I'd be okay with it if I knew I was in it. If it was like, if I knew I was in the Matrix, and I was like, okay, I know this is fake, but I really I prefer this than the than the shitty alternative where I have to hang out in Morpheus's sex dungeon. Yeah, but but Morpheus's sex dungeon is a byproduct of the evil world created when the robots rebelled against the humans. So. Don't you think there's a happy medium where we don't eat gruel? And uh, oh, this is sorry, that's Matrix Revolution spoilers. <laughs> uh, I would like to think that there's not to not to be neoliberal about it, but I would think that there's a happy medium there where we can all eat gruel that tastes like meat. I think we should reclaim the term neoliberal and assign it to what Keanu Reeves's personal philosophies are. You know, that's not bad. I think we should. Yeah. Oh, well, reclaiming... Mm, yeah, I guess that's reclaiming. That is technically reclaiming a word. But that's beside the point. Let's get to the real meat of this movie. Carrie Ann Moss is so cool. There's that one shot... Yeah, of, she's the coolest. There's that one yeah. shot of her where it has the course, the cool, um... The ultimate uh, poster to have in your dorm in 2000 of her holding the gun and has that really crazy, uh, like, uh, perspective. And that's the coolest anyone has ever looked, ever. Love this movie so insanely cool i kind of want to watch it again it's the matrix i want to watch it again just because i'm talking about it but instead of talking about it more i'm going to move on to the next movie which is a few good men another uh sorkin addled production right that is a sork boy right i know i said that off air yeah uh directed by rob reiner which i uh i don't know i i somehow did not know that until after watching this movie and boy, is it a laugh-a-rama. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, Jack Nicholson is great in it. He does this. He does great mouth acting where you're just paying attention to his teeth because the rest of him is being as stock still as possible. Have you seen this movie? You know, Jared, I have not. Uh, it's fine. It's really just, I mean... It's, it's fine! It's a few good men! But what happened to the real America? All I've heard about this movie is that it's, like, goaded. Like, everybody loves it. Oh, it's good. It's fine. It just occupies that space. It's fun to know what Tom Cruise looks like as an older man and see him young and trying to look cool, but you already know who he is now. It's really strange. Like, watching someone's home home video of uh, young Tommy... And that's all I, all I got to say about that movie, I guess. A Few Good Men by Aaron Sorkin and Rob Reiner. <laughs> like a tumbleweed in a wild west town. Gone in the wind. Bye-bye. Um, I watched uh, Ryan Johnson's Looper for the first time. Yeah. I'm, You've, so you had never seen I it. I not. This one, kind of, this one kind of missed me. It was in 2012. I didn't really have the time or any way of seeing this movie in theaters and it just passed me by and it seemed interesting i was really curious to see how the cg how they would cgi joseph gordon levitt's face to resemble bruce willis a little more oh yeah those dot those eyes it's okay i mean yeah the the eyes but like you know trying to change his facial structure a little bit because lord knows they're not going to get bruce willis to sit still for the dots uh i don't know did you like this movie I saw it when it came out. I was looking forward to it. 
because like every uh, pretentious film nerd or indie kid from that period, I had loved Brick. And, uh, you know, this is just a knockout. I did enjoy it when it came out and I bought it on Blu-ray and everything, but I have not come back to it since it came out. Uh, nine years ago. <laughs> Golly. Uh, but I did enjoy it a lot. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Apparently not good enough to ever put the disc in my Blu-ray player and watch it again, but. It's, there's not a lot of return value. It's a really neat concept and hearing, um, the characters talk about the concept and how it relates to themselves, the world, etc. That's neat, but that's a, just a strong concept. Most of it is just watching, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, putts around a farm for a while. E-I-E-I-O, etc. Hey, hey, Jared. Mm. Looper is definitely a movie that the people at home may not have seen as well. So am I correct in remembering? Let's see if I can remember. We'll make a game out of it. Is Looper the movie where, obviously, as we all know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the younger version of Bruce Willis? Uh-huh. Correct. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is an assassin who is hired to go into the... F- wait, no. Bruce Willis is an assassin, nope, and he's sent back in time. No, wait. It, wait. He, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is sent into the future? Right. I'll lay it out. So Don't spoil the ending, just like as if you were describing the trailer. Oh, sure. uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is an assassin in the year 2047. And his whole opening thing is time travel hasn't been invented yet. He's part of this. He's um, part of this oh. agency. He's part of this agency, and from somewhere in the future, they'll send a they'll send someone back who needs to be offed. Gor- Joseph Gordon-Levitt shoots him, buries him, and he gets paid for it. And the whole thing is, time travel is remarkably, remarkably illegal in the future. So it's only used by you know mafia members and gangs and stuff like that and definitely only those people and part of the thing is when you get into this business you know they want to they want to close the ends so at some point you're gonna have to you're gonna have to kill your future self and that's the conceit bruce willis is sent back but usually they're sent masks you don't know who you're shooting because they you know you don't want to hesitate but he's sent sent back with his mask off Joseph Gordon-Levitt hesitates, and then Bruce Willis escapes. And from there, the story happens. Oh, I see. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt has to close the loop. Yeah, he has to kill his future self, So and uh, all that. Uh, Paul Dano's in it for a split second. Yeah. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, he just shows up. They do some really gruesome stuff with the idea of time travel there, and how, like, you know, past affects the future. I, I won't spoil it. It's actually really neat. And um, I think what's his name? Doop doop doop. Yeah, Jeff Daniels shows up looking like a. Yeah, Jeff Daniels is in it as the um, the head of the mafia. He looks like Savage Zizek, if you know that guy. The the. Yes. The what, what is he? A philosopher? He sounds you describe him kind as? of like this. Oh my that god! Guy. Okay, I have to watch this again. Honestly, Jeff, Jeff, I saw Jeff Daniels, and I'm staring like I know this is Jeff Daniels, but this is actually Slavoj Zizek. Like he's he is he is two hot two hot dogs scarfed down away from being exactly like uh, Slavoj Zizek. Have I sent you that video? No, you should send it to me after the oh, show so I could watch it all night and not edit the audio. Oh, perfect. <laughs> um. um I can't believe you're praising a Ryan Johnson film. This is bonkers. I liked Brick. 
like you said, pretentious uh, art person. <laughs> well, uh, tell me a lie. Um, right? Spot the lie. Uh, Ryan Johnson got better with age. How about that? Cut that if you want, I you guess. You got me there. You got, no, no, no. You got me on the Christmas hey. show. You got me on the Christmas show. This is going uh, in. After Looper, I watched... X-Men. The- oh, that was that was Looper, directed by Ryan Johnson, uh, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. You should check yeah. it out. Yeah, actually, go check it out. Solid sci-fi film. It feels like a it feels like an old '70s sci-fi short story expanded for the modern day. That's a great way to yeah. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, the next thing I watched was X-Men: The Last Stand, which I had not seen since 2006. Moving on. I, then then I watched X Men Days of Future Past, which is a uh, cons- I I I dig it. I dig the hell out of it. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. Even though yeah, I really liked Future uh, whatever it is Days of Future Past. Yeah. <laughs> um, not as much as First Class. I feel like First Class. Now I had not seen the X Men movies before First Class, so it gave me uh, a real impetus to enjoy it. You know. Um. But, uh, man, first class, what a wonderful, fun, silly thing with uh, a pretty limited budget or so it looked. Um, but, but that was a part of the charm of it to me. You know, it was that same summer that Fox put out the Planet of the Apes with John Lithgow playing the piano. I have not actually watched it. was the, the one new, with the, I have not watched any of the new Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah, this opens up a world of possibility for Kev oh. in 2022. Oh. Um, anyway. My point is, um, Days of Future Past was after that time and place. Summer 2011 was a very special summer for me for a lot of reasons. Um, but uh, I don't know. I liked it. I think we could never see the Quicksilver speed thing again after that movie. Yeah, we're done. There was the. I can't believe we're still doing they it. They did a. They did that really. They did that one in the X Mansion that I liked, just because it's just, it's just interesting just seeing the mansion like that as opposed to um, what they did in this one, where it was a singular room. Like, I dug the Rube Goldberg machine aspect of the singular room. Like, you know, watch him goof around. One guy turns and makes him poke him in the face and then makes it so he just lethally pokes himself through the head or whatever. Yeah, that's the kitchen? Yeah. I like that. That was cute. Uh, I I actually haven't seen the other... What is it? Apocalypse and then Dark Phoenix? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I haven't seen those. So this X-Mansion, I don't know. I was more thinking... uh, Although I liked the one in Zack Snyder's Justice League trademark. Doom Patrol? What? They do uh they do a Quicksilver rip in for the Flash in Zack Snyder's Justice League. When, he... when he's saving the truck or whatever about to hit the pet store. Oh yeah. And he's uh he eats the hot dog. Yeah, that was okay, that was cute. That But it's now it's been done, so let's undo it forever, yeah. everybody. That's the note I have for this. It was it was cute for that. It was an establishing character moment, and it also really set in how fast he was. So when Superman tries to punch him across the face later in the movie, you know, it makes sense. It's good. Yeah, that was good. It wasn't just a spectacle. Um, it was more than that. But Days of Future Past, uh, that's cool. I've been I've liked X Men since I was a kid. So you know, seeing the movies go go completely off the rails and into a small furnace, which immediately explodes and destroys the orphanage across the street, was, you know. Yeah. Twice. 
Oh, gosh. They had it twice. They had it twice, Jared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. But I will say that this was nice because, oh, boy, I could see the happy ending for these characters that I like. And thumbs up for that. The the I have never been so. And then it's over. What were we going to say? I have never been so happy in my life to see Kelsey Grammer than when they revealed uh, Beast. And the only reason I didn't want to spoil Looper and I was okay with saying that Kelsey Grammer returns in that mm. is because the other movies are so awful. Yeah. Um, how about X-Women, she says in one of them. Oh, uh, anyway, oh. Um, do you have anything else, Jared? Oh, Kelsey Grammer is the this, or... uh, this standout in uh, Last Stand. He is Beast. He's, it's like he stepped He's right out good. of the comics in the best way possible. Uh, the last note is, they have gone over the Dark Phoenix story twice. They've done Magneto to death. They've also done Apocalypse. I normally don't care for, you know, talking about MCU stuff, but I'm so curious as to what they're going to pull for the characters in that. Mr. Sinister? It's tough. Oh, are we going to do... Like, Mr. Sinister feels like such a second step or third step. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, slow burn character. Um, he's more on the level of a Kang. If the Marvel Universe ever did the time traveling entity known as Kang, uh, or whatever the name is, I feel like that would be a similar approach. I apologize. The cat is really unruly tonight. You know, he always seemed like a second tier character that you wouldn't want to introduce right away. But then again, how are we introducing the X Men? Um, I think in a multiverse situation, literally any approach is possible, and they're all pretty valid. Although, I, I don't know why you wouldn't, for example, want to have James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender come back. Oh, yeah. I, I think that that is the move. I think let's retire the, the old men, um, and let's bring these these two great actors who can age real nicely into it. Oh, yeah. Uh, into the conversation that is getting very interesting indeed it's um, funny you mentioned that coming up that just because uh professor x and magneto are generally at least within the comics they're the old guys they are always the old guys but it reminds me of how back in the 2000s the ultimate marvel stuff was coming out and they did an interesting little move where they made the fantastic four younger that's Whereas right. Reed and Sue are generally they're, you know, they're in their thirties, their forties. They just got married, that kind of thing. Reminds me of that. How it kind of it opened up all kinds of possibilities that you can do with the characters. For the Ultimate Fantastic Four, you can do something similar if you bring back um, McAvoy and Hasselhoff. I'm looking at his name right now. Fassbender. If you bring back Fassbender, bring the, yeah, bring those two back. They can be the young. They can be the young passionate weirdos instead of you know the wise old guys that we have known them to be for decades they could also be more present Mm. in the mix with you know let's let's have a team of x-men that appeal to children Mm -hmm. crazy idea uh also it would make sense there's been a lot said about the blip there's been a lot of theories about uh, Thanos, the snap, bringing people when when uh, Iron Man snapped the the glove is so stupid. When when idiot snap when the guy from Wonder Boys snapped the glove, and all the people came back. Um, what the rules were 
right? And we saw a little bit of that. If you're following Hawkeye, there was a a, a, a kind of hint about how that feels. But it also triggered the Eternals. I know you're laughing so at me, Jared, on video. A funny idea. What if um, part oh. of the snap, um, what's his name, uh, Robert Downey Jr. left a little cookie trail? That was just like, oh, wow, his last notes. We have to go, we have to hunt across the world and find his last notes. And the final thing. Oh, the, the less said about is, Stark, the better. The final thing is, um, the final thing is um, more mutants. And then we know that his snap brought made mutants real. Oh my god. I hey, mean, I, weapon, I think it would be... He's a weapons manufacturer, dude. He's got to keep his uh, mind on the prize. That's really funny. <laughs> I like that. But no, I mean, uh, I think that... I mean, look, if the snap can trigger this shit in Eternals, which is a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not Maybe not terrible, but I didn't like it. If, if the snap can trigger that, what else can it trigger? And that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. But... Enough about this. Anyway, we're done talking about the MCU forever. Uh, The last movie is... um, Get this, Kevin. This is about to become your favorite movie of all time. It's called Intimidation. It is a little... It's a little noir movie directed by Koryoshi Kurahara. And here's the part. 65 minutes long. Oh, baby. This is what I'm talking about. This is cinema. It is perfectly paced, well acted, well realized, not a not a microsecond wasted. And God, it is rare and a tr- it is a rare treasure to find something that knows how to pace everything perfectly. It knows exactly what you need to see, how much of it, and the characters are there to guide you along. It's about a um it's about it's about this bank manager who has uh sleezed his way up the ladder and now he's uh being blackmailed for book cooking and he has to rob his own bank to pay off to um pay off the blackmail right very good it has a lot has twists and turns that don't feel hokey everything is very natural and within its within the character's limits i like it I think you should watch it. It's on Criterion Channel. Where? Thank you. I know. Was it in the Japanese noir section? It is, yeah. And I have to check that out. Please do. It was really good. Like, if you just want a quick noir, you can throw on, and th- while you're while you're waiting for dinner to arrive, perfect. That's pretty good. Yeah. That sounds good to me. And uh, um, that's what I've been watching, really. Excellent. Well, that was great, Jared. Um, would you like to take a break before we get right into it, or do you want to just dive right in? Because this movie is 75, 76 minutes long. Are you good to go? Let's take a quick one. All right. So that is what we've been watching this week. We are going to take a quick break and then come back for the seeking of runtimes. 76 minute uh, masterpiece. Oof. Love it. Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Merry Christmas, 1993, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back. Um, just a reminder, the announcement for the January 5th movies will take place at the end of this segment. I don't know what Jared's picked. Jared doesn't know what I've picked. The world is full of wonder and mystery. We don't know. Very exciting stuff. 
The movie is Spider-Man 3, um, Homeward Bound. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Homeward Bound. Um, Jared, what was Homeward Bound? What, Jared, what's up? you and I met in junior high school, and our friendship really blossomed over Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold... Everyone else loves Batman the Animated Series too. That's why. That's why. Hot off the success of season one, Warner Brothers asked them to make a direct-to-video movie, and then out of nowhere, they said, "We're going to release this in theaters next Christmas." And uh, next Christmas happened to be eight months from there. That's right. That's right. Kevin, Um, do you know how long it would take to make them like a solid hour and a half movie? At all animated? It's brutal. Two years. Two Two goddamn years. years. (laughs) Yeah. Like, luckily for them, Warner Brothers was really... They were really accommodating. They gave them, like, huge amount of creative control, a huge budget, but they just had to make this thing fast. Really fast. And make it they did. Folks, the movie is Batman Mask of the Phantasm. The feature length, really, it's, I don't mean this in a bad way, because the animated series is so cinematic already, but Mm. it is a 75-minute episode of one of the great cartoons of all time, Batman the Animated Series. Mm -hmm. Um, Directed by Eric Radomski and Bruce Timm, uh, written by Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Martin Pasco, and Michael Reeves, all writers on the show. The Um, names. The names. Now, the... I don't even What's know that? where to begin on this <laughs> because there's so much to say. Um, I can't believe that they let them be so free with the story. Uh, if you're not familiar, the story of Batman, the mask of the phantasm is a pretty sweeping brooding dark, even for Batman standard story about a past love in Bruce's life, returning to Gotham city under mysterious circumstances and the machinations of the crime, bo- the crime world around her mm-hmm. as Batman and his nemesis, the Joker get to the bottom of a deep, dark mystery. Who is the phantasm. It's really funny you say that. I never put it in that perspective. It's a it's a detec- it's a detective story where the two detectives detectives are Batman and the Joker just trying to figure out who this one asshole is. That's, That's right. Really funny. <laughs> and it's like and it comes to a head real brilliantly at the end where mm-hmm. in the carnage and the destruction at the Gotham World's Fair Joker is just like <laughs> <laughs> because he's, he's also figured it out. He's having a great time because they figured it out. Mm-hmm. You know, Joker. Well, this is not where I intended to start, but you know, you've presumably watched the movie. Let's talk about it. Sure. Um, you could sure. argue that the Joker maybe is not. You could have put Two Face in there. You could have put uh, maybe uh, the little marionette, little ventriloquist dummy, mob boss guy in there. Oh um, yeah, the, the Joker on the surface does feel a little. Um, why wouldn't you include Mark Hamill's Joker in the movie? Yeah. Even back then, they knew what they had. Are, like Feels arbitrary on the surface. But then it's like, no, but the Joker is also as tied to Batman as they're trying to say Andrea is. It also, like, with Two-Face or the Ventriloquist, those are characters that are permanently 
fixed in the idea of like the mob boss. Two-Face is just a really weird mob boss. Ventriloquist, very weird mob boss. Having the Joker and Batman be the two characters trying to figure things out, actually working towards a solution, works because they're both very flamboyant, exaggerated characters. Whereas the other, uh, his other rogues gallery, just uh, it would be it would be too samey. They would get lost, or it's the Riddler, and it's like, why would Riddler care? You know? I agree. I agree. He's oh. Um, let's see some of my notes should here. We do, should we do a little synopsis of the movie? Yeah, I think we should. Do you want to... Uh, I mean, I do want to talk about the opening sequence of this film, which is oh, a... Oh, yes. Like, so, if somehow you haven't seen it, the animated series generally opens with the static Warner Brothers shield, and it fades into a blimp, which, by the way, I didn't see a blimp in this movie. Are there, did I, was I not paying attention? There was. There were no Zeppelins. Very it's a shame. strange. It's my favorite part of the cartoon. Oh, so um, cool. But it fades into a blimp overseeing Gotham City, and there's a the theme song is a sequence where Batman stops some thugs on a roof, basically. It's super um, cool. The sets of the Danny Elfman theme, and it's the coolest goddamn thing you've ever seen. Oh yeah. Instead, we have this insanely expensive for the time CG zooming in on Gotham City. It doesn't look great. But at the same time, they had eight months and too much money. So, you know what? Kudos to them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, although I will say, like, and maybe we could talk about this before we get into the plot. Uh, hmm. After this sequence of the kind of zooming around the rooftops, it does awkwardly almost slide up like a garage door into the Bruce Tim <laughs> static animation cell. Mm-hmm. It does. Get um, the, it does want to remind you. It does want to give you that feeling while also going, look at our cool CG. But it does look just like the cartoon, and it feels just like even with their minimized production schedule, they really didn't mm-hmm. miss a beat. You could air, you know, this in four parts in syndication, and it would be fine, in my opinion. Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, why would you ever do that? But if you wanted to, like a maniac, you could. <laughs> this is def- This is um. They've definitely shown this in full back on like Cartoon Theater way back in the day. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, but. This, this one has a really cool uh, cold open where you get to, you don't get to see him die, but a dude gets murdered in this cartoon. It rocks. Yo, it's, and that first, like, the first scene of this movie is basically, uh, well, how do you describe this? Uh, Batman is hunting down some mob guys. The mob guys are, um, they have fake money, and that's no good. So Batman, Batman beats the crap out of them. There are a lot of really creative, creative little bits. Batman flips a table onto someone, beats up some other guys. The main mob boss runs off. Guy under the table struggling to grab his gun. He just steps on it, knocks the guy out. It's little, little details in there that they just work into, work into an interesting scene. And I'm all for that. Again, a Rube Goldberg machine. Uh, after that is the first encounter with the Phantasm, who is funny. Funny enough, have you read uh, Batman Year Two? You know, I haven't. Although I know from doing some research for this show that there are elements of Year Two in this movie. In Year Two, there's a there is a dude from Batman's past wearing a big suit with a scary mask, a hook for a hand, and a big cloak and a hood. You have got to be fucking joking. The the Reaper is kind of lame, but 
The Phantasm is not. That is a really cool design. They pretty much picked the conceptual, the con- the concept of the Reaper and said, well, what if we made it better? Oh, year two is not great. To, I have to opinion. see this. There's going to be a time and a place for us to talk about year Ooh. two next year. Um, oh, I'm sure. But anyway, I do. So so I want to talk to you about this because you are sure. um, kind of an expert in what I'm about to say. Uh-oh. Now, the 90s brought us a lot of very extreme and very cool designs. And yes, I wanted sir. to talk to you about the Phantasm against another Batman design. Uh-oh. So um, Uh-oh. when the Phantasm first appears, the mob bosses, um, they think that they think that the Phantasm is Batman. And it's easy to think that because it's the same in this. The silhouette is identical. Yeah. Uh, you can also say that <laughs> with... Um, Bane breaks Batman's back and in his place <laughs> and in his place Bruce decides to give the mantle to Jean-Paul Valet and Azrael becomes Batman and um, my question to you is which suit is cooler the cartoon Phantasm which we didn't see until Tom King decided to drag it out last year in comics or this blue gold I enjoy it but Enjoy is different than thinking it's cool. Um, the Phantasm is infinitely cooler, but Astral Bats is cool in its own way. Interesting. Spe- specifically when it's when he is drawn by Kelly Jones, just because Jones gets the goofy exaggeratedness of that outfit so perfectly. Interesting. But between the two, I would go for the Phantom, the Phantasm, any day. That so this is was a, a trick question. Yeah, yeah of course it was. <laughs> What I should what I should have said was uh, the Reaper from Batman Year Two is the coolest design. Fair he's enough. wearing a he's wearing a red muscle suit and his head is a skull. His mask is a skull, Kevin. He wears a little hood. Okay, I have to. And see he has a hook guy. hand. Yo, <laughs> so this goofy. guy this guy is a mix of two of my favorite high school memes. One having a hook for a hand. Yes. And two Slim Goodbody, who was this guy in like the 70s and 80s who would go do like field trip tours to teach kids about the human body and he would wear a skin tight suit that would show his muscle like the muscles in the body he also cameoed for a uh, david byrne concert way back in the day oh that's right (laughs) how could i have forgotten the 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 horrible skin suit But back to uh, the Phantasm. Back to Batman Mask of the Phantasm. <laughs> um, there are some... I, I picked up on a lot of little things that I thought yeah. were odd. Like, um, what, are, what are they? Let's see. Well, right off the bat, after this scene with the Phantasm, Batman brings a piece of Char- Chucky Soul's windshield, and he analyzes it. And it made me realize that as action-packed as this movie is, Batman is still somehow... Somehow the writers of this movie figured out a way to make Batman the world's greatest detective. Man, just have him be smart. It's so simple. Come on, guys. Just write smart. Write a smart character. I don't character. understand it. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a scene where a woman splashes some red wine in Bruce's face. Oh, yeah. And the, the way they animate the wine, it clings to him like blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was very worth noting. Oh, yeah. That was a... I, I, li- I like that little detail where they actually have his hair look wet but still has that little pop like playboy pomp and and in uh, the later scenes he walk he walks off his hair is still wet right. like is there's still a dampness to it just that att- that attention to detail it doesn't get on his shirt which but which always bugged me but you know 
<laughs> That's annoying to animate. Did you notice that For one sure. of the women, one of the women that was hitting on him, uh, is just Arlene Circle? The, yes, uh, I the picked that up immediately. Quinn. So I have the I have the cast list here. I forgot yeah. to read it off at the top, but we'll go through it now. Obviously, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill uh, as Batman and Joker. Dana Delaney as uh, Andrea, aka the Phantasm. Mm-hmm. Who I have in my notes. The second she walked in in the flashback, I was like, "Phantasm." Of course, of <laughs> like, course. Ah, yeah. it's you. You know, oh, have to yeah. be the world's greatest detective. But another thing, another couple cast members I wanted to point out: Abe Vigoda as Velestra somehow. Yeah, what, um, a, what a pull! <laughs> and as Carl Beaumont, I couldn't believe this, but Ammonite movie night legend Stacy Keach. What is he yeah. doing here, man? Do you think, hmm, well, this was like the early 90s, so like, it wasn't like voice Uh, acting was like some big glamorous thing. You kind of just, you were, I don't know. I'm sure that the guys who make Batman the Animated Series were hyped to get Stacey Keach to do two minutes in a bit mobster part. Oh, yeah. It's not a bit part, sorry, but... it's It's not like a bit part, but they definitely reached out and was just like, who can we get for these? Who do we who we love to see? Exactly. Um, from there, we kind of go into the. Uh, there's a flashback now, mm-hmm. where we see. So to give kind of a big picture synopsis of what goes on here, there is the present day who is the phantasm mystery, and we're also introduced. We are introduced to the love interest Andrea Beaumont, who mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne he. He met her while he was visiting his parents' grave. Um, And Bruce Wayne runs into his first crisis of conscience because he is in love with Andrea, who was also mourning her mother. So they're joined in their loss, right? To also also mention, this this flashback takes place before he was even Batman. That's right. Thank you. She, uh, she, um, when she's, Andrea's talking to her, um, to her mother at the grave, and she mentions, <laughs> I've seen him around on campus. And then you see Bruce Wayne. It's like, he looks young, but it's like, that man is 25. <laughs> that is a 25-year-old man. Why are you treating him like he's 19? Wow. But that's not I like that. It. I like that even Batman the Animated Series, they hired older actors for the drawing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> weird bit, but weird bit, but think about it. But yeah, they're... Um, they are immediately joined in their, you know, their grief over their lost parents, and from there, a, a friendship uh, starts to kindle. Some, I, uh, I bond, if you will. I don't know. She's giving him some Nala eyes back at Wayne Manor after they, uh, after they've Ew, been around man. for a minute. It oh. is gross. Go back and watch the movie, yo. Go back. Got an HBO Max. Watch this movie because it isn't that she is giving him Nala. It eyes. is something, yo. At and, least you really, uh, you know. The courtship was short, but you really get the sense that they're into each other, which is nice. I, I will also say this, like, the thing that surprised me the most, and I'm, I'm saying, I've seen the movie before years ago. Yeah. But the thing that surprised me here is that this is a movie for adults. This is not um, a, a movie. I mean, children will enjoy it because it's a movie with Batman and the Joker and a lot of action and the Phantasm's cool. But this is a story about two people united by grief and one man, like... Like his coping mechanism is challenged by positive influences in his life, and when she leaves, it creates the vacuum that ultimately gives us Batman. Yeah, 
That is a deeply what? bleak story. Deeply bleak. Especially like, if you know where the character ends up at the towards the end of his life in Batman Beyond and afterwards. It's like, oh like, yeah, that's sad. <laughs> like, what is going on? This show aired a, a handful of times in prime time, I think. Maybe oh, yeah, not. Know. Again, send us hate mail, amntpod at gmail.com. But was uh, the Fox Box. It was wait. Batman the Animated Series was on the Fox Box? Pretty sure. It, it aired on, or maybe it was, it was Fox on Fox Kids. Kids. It was yeah. on Fox Kids. The Fox Box was, uh, that was early later. 2000s. Oh, pff, never mind then. Yeah, it was on Fox Kids for a hot minute. Uh, probably for like the first season before it eventually got shafted over to go. That's exactly okay. right. Because right. the second season is the new Batman Adventures. Remember, season one is the 65 episode run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, um, they, then Superman and uh, New Adventures, etc. But back to the point. Yeah, this is a this is a movie for adults. This is the most adult take on Batman. I would say. I think you might be right. I can't believe some of the, like um, later on in the movie when Bruce goes to the Wayne grave, and he goes, "I know I made you a promise." Oh man, and we all know we all know that Bruce Wayne made a promise on his parents' grave to uphold the rights of the citizens of Gotham City, etc. Um. I didn't count like, on I know being I, happy. I know I made you that promise, but I didn't count on being happy. Like, oh, this movie man. is for children. Christ. Oh, man. I first, I first got to watch this when I was uh, 12. And then I rewatched it when I had the DVD when I was 15. I was like, I don't, should I be watching this? I'm, I'm a teenager. And I, I should be doing adult things or trying to. I, I still feel very immature for this movie. I feel very silly. It's a very. I know what you mean. Oh, but it's wonderful. You don't get to see this kind of somber take on this character so often, and one that's so embraced. It's not like two pages where you know you get monologues where Batman is all sad, and then someone cheers him up, and that's the end of um I don't know the the story arc, the twelve issue story arc, or whatever. This is an ongoing thing for Batman, and it's brought up. In its original context in the past and afterwards, which we're going to get to. I know you're, I know I'm laughing because that was such a targeted critique. Um, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> like the precision of that critique on one particular um, writer's habits. Gosh. Golly. Um, Shucks. Right, so <laughs> Jesus Jones. But yeah. All right, so the storyline in the past, he's mourning his parents. He meets Andrea Beaumont. He's conflicted about it. Um, she, He proposes to her. She accepts, but then she leaves. Mm -hmm. She sends him a Dear John letter, and in his heartbreak, there's that amazing shot where he's holding the cowl, and Alfred is horrified as the man becomes the bat. Love the idea that like oh it's isn't it yeah I'm yeah this in the air right now it's just the coolest shit. I love I love that he's facing away and he holds out his hand for his butler to put his mask in his hand. It's so exceptionally theater. Like you know that's what, what I want from these grand characters with their grand feelings that go into subtlety, go and explode in a form of a massive fight with with the Joker in a Dick Sprang set. But later on but on that later. You know what it reminded me of too? What um, what? The mirror. Yeah. Give me the mirror. 
Yes! Uh, from Batman 89 when Joker uh, is looking at his uh, reconstructed face. So good. Good good call. I did not think of that sorry. one. Uh, I'm lucky because I uh, it came up on Instagram. I follow an account that shows you the Simpsons parody and then mm-hmm. the real movie. And yesterday's <laughs> post was Lisa Simpson getting braces. Um, and she's like, the mirror, the mirror. It's a direct par- like shot for shot parody of Batman 89. That's really funny. I need to watch that episode now. Wow. <laughs> um, let's see. I have a ton of little things. We'll get so... Um, a ton of little things. There's a shot. Um, there's an establishing shot of Batman at the Bat Pewter, where a bunch of bats are flying across the <laughs> the background, like like it's Tuesday. Oh yeah, you know. Squick, 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 squick. I love the. I love the, the stuff like ambience. that. I love Alfred's sass. Um, I diapered your bottom. I bloody well know everything, sir. Well, you're wrong. Here's a little little fit right there. Um, oh, okay. So here's something also. The bats, right? Mm-hmm. I love this idea of the swarm of bats as a living symbol of Bruce's destiny as Batman. Mm-hmm. And we see a little bit of that in the casual flying of the bats. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we flash back to the proposal after that scene. And there's a giant swarm of bats that overwhelm them as Bruce proposes as if to say, no, 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 you're not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. You made your promise and the universe will see you stick to it. It's sad. He, th- it's sad. Cause, uh, I think deep down he knows his parents would, what would be totally fine with, Hey, live your life and be happy. But he's so convinced that he's damned forever. Right. That's the tragic thing is that anybody would tell him, you know, it's okay. You need to move on. This happened and it's terrible. That's the whole point yeah. of the character. And yeah, I've, I, the breaking point for that character is when he genuinely, genuine, genuinely, if his parents came back and said, you're fine, you don't have to do this, you're free. He would still do it anyway because that's just how his, his traumatized brain works. He sees, and the bats are a, like you said, they're a living idea that the universe needs him to be Batman. And it's wild, too, on the implications of, like, well, if Joker needs Batman to exist, and Batman needs to exist, then what is the... There's a time and a place to talk about the larger scheme. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Once, once we get into uh, Joker's uh, death count... His yeah, body count. Well, his, his, when we get to his body count, that's a different story. Um, let's see. What else do I have in my notes here? Kind of as we're Which, going through the plot. So um, the present. We, go ahead. We haven't talked much about like the character relationships, just because. You know, it's it's part of the fun. You want to watch. You want to watch uh, Andrea and Bruce fall in love, fall out, and come to an understanding. What I really, what really stuck out to me this watch. Alfred and Batman have some really strong writing together. Yes. They have a, like, you know how they are, but they still write them as, like, as if you still need to be introduced their, to their dynamic. Ma, why, ma, why, Master Bruce, you are the, mo- you are the model of us, of sanity. By the way, I clean, I, uh, cleaned up your exploding gas bombs and fed the bats. Or whatever that line is. <laughs> um, I loved, uh, there's a detail, after the bat establishing shot, mm-hmm. Alfred is polishing... <laughs> polishing bruce's fencing swords yes yes (laughs) 
you never Which see also, him use them. He never It's a nice little them. symbol of like Alfred is the only person who can fence truly with the Dark Knight oh, verbally yeah. at least. The only one who who Bruce will listen to is Alfred. And even when Bruce goes fuck you to Alfred, he's still taped down going, "Oh man." As shown later in the movie at the very end. Right. Cuz he does he does eventually have a little spat with Alfred cuz Bruce is all conflicted, cu- conflicted because he's been Batman for years now, and he gets news that Andrea, who's been away for so long, is coming back to Gotham. And Alfred's like, oh, goodness, you'll be seeing her, won't you? And Batman just, you think you know everything about me? That's my really bad Kevin Conroy impression. To the wow. point where it's not really a Kevin Conroy impression, it's just me getting upset. The Tim Allen. <laughs> eh? Bruce, Master Bruce, what's wrong with you? What happened to your wife? But they have. <laughs> oh boy! Golly! A lot of the a lot of the movie um, building up building up to reintroducing Andrea and Bruce. You get sprinkles of the Joker, who is some has some of his best writing and his best acting, in my opinion. It's something like, while, again, I, I tried to make the point as a devil's advocate situation mm-hmm. that, like, could you have removed him? He is... Mm, he works. I, I'm trying not to be hyperbolic about it. But this is some of my favorite DCAU Joker. Oh, yeah. He is so sharp, so great. Hamill is so on point. The me- You really get that... This is the. This is actually the embodiment of the 1970s Joker that they've been trying to get for years. This is the Joker of the laughing fish or the five-way crime. Right. He's fu- he's menacing. Like, you do- you feel very uncomfortable when that man is in the room. And, oof. He also provides the mo- some of the movie's only bits of levity, which this movie really needs. <laughs> it really needs little and, jokes. And some of the scariest, like, you couldn't believe they did it. Oh, yeah. Ugh. The, um, the, <laughs> Hazel, his, um, wife, robot wife. Oh my god, and patting the ass with a robot? <laughs> just, Good lord. Just when you get in the mood, company shows up, or whatever. <laughs> oh my god. There's also a little bit, uh, Joker's hideout is very important, because one of the flashback scenes has Bruce and Andrea on a date. You could yeah, see them okay. more, and you could see his conflict more. Him grappling with the idea of who he wants to be and how he deals with the plan, as it's called. And they go to Gotham's world of the future, where it's just crazy, goofy, 1950s, atomic age, DC stuff. Okay, I'm really happy you brought this up. Mm-hmm. Because, like, of course, if they were given the chance to kind of expand their budget and expand their scope, of course these guys are going to do the 1964 New York World's Fair mm-hmm. with Disney's House of the Future and It's a Small World. Mm-hmm. And of course they're going to do it in this kind of gothic horror fashion. And of course we're going to go back there in the third act and it's going to be all jacked up. Oh, yeah. What was your it's point? Just, oof. I'm, I may, I'm definitely trying to draw too much from this, but the idea of like this, the pa- this like paradise in Bruce's life, you get to see the world of tomorrow as this bright, wondrous thing anything could happen and then you actually get to the future 
and it's polluted and destroyed and in, and only the Joker lives there. Only the Joker is in the future. <laughs> no, that's right. I mean, look at it. And then, you know, at the end, it is destroyed. Oh, completely. By the past. By the ultimate symbol of the past, this, uh, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, really, um, mm-hmm. appearing at your door um, to exact vengeance and destroy everything. Like, uh, the one last thing of his past that Bruce could cling to destroyed itself and its own memory. It's gone. (gasps) Oh, speaking of Bruce's great detective moments, remember when he figured out that one creepy guy that no one liked from his past was the Joker? (laughs) He gets the picture and draws a little pink smile over his face. (laughs) The world's greatest detective. (laughs) He is the best, dude. He is the world's greatest detective. That was so funny. Oh, it was great. Um, do I have everything else for the World's Fair while we're on it? Sure. Oh, I loved this really wonderful character moment. Um, Bruce and Andrea are in the little car, and they go to the um, interventions, so to speak, the mm-hmm. things of tomorrow, and the vehicle of tomorrow is the Batmobile. Mm-hmm. You know the, you know the one part of that that... It- you know the one part that they screwed up there? What? They show almost all of his vehicles except for the Batmobile in this movie. You see the plane, you see the motorcycle, you don't see the boat, but you don't see the Batmobile. Unless there's you know, a still right. shot somewhere. They might have seen it when you pan over the cave, mm. but there's nothing to establish what it is. If you go in blind, you'll think you'll be like, Oh, why is Bruce like this weird car? He never drives the well, shit, man, I didn't think about that. That Batwing sequence goes on for so long. I was more focused on my flashbacks to my Batman Forever transforming Bat vehicle toy. (laughs) Why didn't they put that in any of these damn movies? Dude, it was a Batmobile that you pulled out the main main seat, Mm -hmm. essentially, and it became the Batwing. There were wings you can clip on. Yeah, and then there was a boat, which is essentially a little shoe that you could plug it into, and it became the Bat Boat. It was bliss. That's so cool. The uh, the the coolest toys. The animated series had some really cool toys, but most of them were well, they kind of had to be. They were just recolors and redesigns of the, you know, Bruce Tim chest out, shoulders back design. We both instinctively did that. You know, how much of it really is a coincidence that uh, they all have the same pose? They're all in the same <laughs> exact style. Harvey Dent and Bruce Wayne's nipples are the same height. What is it? What kind of coincidence is that? Bruce Tim clearly hung clearly hung over and doesn't want to talk doesn't want to talk to me as I try to tell him, "Wow, I love Batman the animated series." Scribble something on my piece of paper and tells me to get the hell out of his face. That's that's why they all look the same. <laughs> Oh my goodness! All right. The, uh, um, oh man, that scene of the um, of the bat of the Batwing, their first encounter, and then they go and fight at the construction site. That was cool. That was a really inventive. As soon as Batman gets injured and his outfit starts to get torn up, and you see blood. It's oh, not only is this real, but when they go this far to damage him, animation wise, that means they're gonna get weird, and weird they get. Batman just attaches his uh, cape and cowl to like the uh, little construction thing and just sends it off at the helicopter as a distraction. That was so neat. Little inventive things like that. 
it's it's a very dense movie. They really, get to, they really get to cut loose with these and show their creative chops in ways that they just couldn't because of budget limitations on the TV show. Was there any? That's like, definitely true. Was there were there any like little animation things or tidbits that you uh, that you really that you really liked that really just caught your eye? Okay, for me it was the uh, range of the violence. Yeah, like Joker's poisoned people with laughing gas every week. Oh yeah, but when we're in the hospital and we see Reeves struck with the poison, or when the chair turns around and we see Valestra with the giant, the, the hit, like uglier than ever grin, mm-hmm. holding the camera or however the camera is positioned, mm-hmm. like unbelievable. They finally get to do that. Just to show how grotesque it would be to laugh yourself to death. Right. I, oh, did you like the added bit of uh, Reeves panic laughing when uh, Batman enters? And then Batman scares him into silence by yelling. <laughs> little things. Little, little things that really add. <sighs> there was... Oh, this is... There was a, there's a little musical sting. I don't know if you caught it. But when uh, Joker first arrives to Congressman Reeves' office, there's a there's a little like piano like. Din, 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 din. Did you notice that? It's it has stuck with me for years because it's so. I keep going back to strong, but it's just striking. It just immediately grabs your attention. The flash of lightning, and then you have Joker wearing his little his little big hat. He looks like a he looks like a 1950s gangster throughout all of this. By yes, the way, yes, he absolutely does. I did note that. I did clock the uh, the big hat and the giant jacket. Mm. You know, you don't think of Joker to have that um, Tim shape, mm-hmm. but he does. He's and, uh, he's bulky and frightening in this. He's measured and menacing. And that's exactly what's fun about the Joker. Because, yes, he is a big, silly guy. But he's also... just want to get out of the room. You don't want to be in the same room as this asshole. Why is he like this? (laughs) All right, Jared, we did the flashback timeline. We did the current timeline. We did the House of the Future. We did the Batwing chase. We did the construction side fight. Do you have any other notes about this? We did the Joker rampage on the crime bosses, more or less. Do you have any other notes before we go right to the finale at the wrecked... House of the Future. Hmm. It's cool that we get to see different parts of Wayne Manor. We only generally see the we only see the cave, we see the foyer. And that's about it. We got a little we got a little more going on. We see his bedroom and his balcony. Um I did clock something very specific and weird. Um sure. Andrea's walking up to uh her house. And she's about to discover that her father has died. Mm-hmm. And she's holding, uh, there's apples in the bag. Mm-hmm. And then she drops the bag and the apples roll all over the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, like in The Godfather, when Vito Corleone is shot and he's holding an orange. <laughs> what do you think they meant so, by that? <laughs> so obviously an homage to The Godfather, which I thought was very odd, but Okay. <laughs> Yeah, they were very excited to have uh, Abe Vigoda on the team. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Abe Vig- I forgot. <laughs> See, I didn't even think. 
but uh, very <laughs> odd. I guess it was a nod to Abe Vigoda. <laughs> maybe. Right? Or maybe Justin or maybe just in general was like, hey, this is a mob story. We like mob right. stories. Exactly. That was a very specific note. I didn't know where to put that in our conversation, but I wanted it set on the show before we got to the finale. I'm happy you, I'm happy you brought it up. Uh, it's always slipped. It's never really slipped. It's never really, uh, I never made that connection. So <laughs> are you ready to um, talk about the centerpiece of this entire thing? And by centerpiece, I mean, it's actually at the end. It's nowhere near the center of the movie. Well, it's, it's the centerpiece of the movie. And then it becomes the emotional centerpiece of the movie. Oh, yes. Right. So we did all that. There's this whole thing where Reeves helped the Beaumonts escape Gotham from the mobsters, but gave their location after uh, uh, Andrea's father wouldn't give him money for his election. Right. Yeah. So that at that point, the two greatest detectives in Gotham City figure it out. Yeah. Right. Um, let's see. Joker's hanging out at the World's Fair, as we discussed. And and, uh, Andrea finds him there. Batman has essentially raced her to essentially the final battle uh, for their city. She beat him by a few minutes. That's right. Just enough time for for, uh, one of my favorite, favorite little bits. You have a shot of Joker reaching for a knife. And he's about to grab the knife. And then he (laughs) smacks her across the face with a thing of baloney that that, uh, his robot wife Hazel was cutting. Great bit. Amazing. Great Amazing. Stuff. Even see like, <laughs> and this is why it's perfect because the Joker is a very serious character and he does have a role in kind of the story, but he's mm. also got a piece of baloney hanging around just in case to smack you with. Oh, oh yeah. You know, for fun. The amount of times Joker could have killed someone, but didn't cause it wouldn't have been funny in this movie alone is astounding. Just those, he could have killed these guys at any point, but no, there's no joke. Um, do you know what I love the most about this encounter, Jared? Uh, what do you probably love? the thing. One of the things I love the most about this film is that it does not truly end. Like all of the great Batman stories, there is a climax to it. Which let's talk about this because you did point out there is a certain writer who we have a lot of respect for, but d- tends to end things uh, in a certain way. But the the Phantasm and Joker fight, and they're interrupted by Batman. The, Batman begs the Phantasm to stop. She says, my favorite line in the whole movie. First of all, the Joker says an amazing line before she's unmasked. I'm impressed, lady. <laughs> I love that. Um, oh, how cool was it, by the way, that the Joker used the only blimp in the movie to uh, send the bomb right into Batman's head? Oh yeah, no, that was a that was a toy plane. That was a fake plane. Ah, well, fuck me then. And that's important because I'm. That's how Batman figures out. Oh, he's at Tomorrowland because I remember that. Stupid, right? I wish it was a little blimp though. Love that, love that blimp. <laughs> um. So anyway, there is this amazing. I thought it was a really awesome. Uh, right out of a classic noir. Mm-hmm. The finale and the the got the miniature Gotham City as the three fight for essentially the future of Gotham City, right? Mm-hmm. The dicks, um, the dicks, the obvious Dick Sprang influence of having the Bat- Batman and Joker fight in a in a weird version instead of <laughs> instead of them fighting on a giant telephone, they just fight in a big version of in a tiny version of or Gotham under a or under a giant penny. Oh, so 
If only. They need to, we need that origin. But please, go on. It's after the it's after the fight, after the incredible jetpack scene. And the entire park is ready to explode. What does she say as she has a Joker in in her hands? Good night, my love. And, and as the Joker howls, the park explodes. And the, the Phantasm and Joker disappear in a puff of smoke, leaving Batman to survive another day. Barely. The best. The best. Now, we do see Andrea leaving Gotham. Mm-hmm. So who knows what could happen to the Phantasm? Thankfully, we never found out. Nope. The Phantasm never appears ever again. The Phantasm does. It's in... Did you not like uh, that uh, that episode of uh, Justice League? Which episode? I'm sorry. Epilogue. Does... So I... My watching of Phantasm has always been totally out of whack with that episode, which okay. I haven't seen in like 10 years. Uh, does she come up in Epilogue? Yeah. You know, you, you remember the, the gist of the Epilogue though, right? I know the, the big stuff. Yeah. So Amanda Waller is trying to recreate, bat, recreate Batman. First, she stole his DNA and made it so that Terry McGinnis's dad... Um, well, has, um, has Bruce Wayne's sperm instead of his own, because that's the future, I guess. What a Gibbs- way to do that. I know, right? What a really... Cadmus was very strange, but, you know, gives birth. It's uh, essentially the son of Bruce Wayne. And of course, Batman's life is defined by tragedy, etc., etc. And Amanda Waller hires an assassin to kill his parents. The assassin is the Phantasm. And... The Phantasm relents at the last second and pretty much calls Waller out and just, and just like, this is not how you do it. This is not how Batman is made and walks off. And that is the Phantasm's second and last appearance in the DCAU. What the fuck? Yeah, you need See, to rewatch this episode. It's 20 was, minutes and it's great. <laughs> full, full disclosure, I was going to go through everything again um, next year, kind of mm-hmm. in sync with the 20th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Which I know uh, maybe we have plans for. I don't know. Maybe. Mm, maybe. Eh, maybe. Who um, knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, I think I want to watch that like tomorrow. <laughs> Hell yeah, man! Because that's incredible. I didn't. I. I hadn't remembered. It's a. It is. She has. She doesn't have a speaking part. She has maybe a full minute of screen time, because you know it's not about her. It's about you know her servicing the plot. But just a little, a neat little thing. Uh, to round back, um, new appreciate again with Alfred and Bruce's relationship. New appreciation for that last bit where he talks his son down. Vengeance blackens the soul. What a thing Ephraim to tell Zimbales Batman. Ephraim Zimbalas Jr., as always, the goat. Fantastic Alfred. He's amazing. He is the. I mean. The thing, the thing is, there's been so many amazing Alfreds. Oh yeah, it's incredible that they're all amazing in their own ways. In my opinion, anyway. Oh, most certainly. That's oh, there has not been a bad Alfred, which is wild. You'd think someone would mess up along the way, but no, they all get they all they all get the memo. They know what yeah, they have to right? do. Alfred sixty six is good. Alfred eighty nine, of course, legendary Michael Golch. 
Um, this guy, who else? I like Jeremy Irons. Yeah, he's good. We got Michael, Circus Michael coming Kane. up. Great guy. Circus looks good. Mm-hmm. But but he, I agree. Mm. I think that the relationship between Alfred and Batman here is just phenomenal. Mm. And on a, on a sadder note, it everyone likes to have the the Batman and Joker are two sides of the same coin. No, it's the Phantasm and Batman. The Phantasm is like Alfred says, she she gave into vengeance long ago. There was no saving her. But he's always watched Bruce toe that line, and he's never fallen. And that's the that's deep down what it is. They both stared into the void, and uh, she blinked. It's beautiful. Listen to that. Wonderful stuff, man. It's that like ah, that last scene just really cements cements the whole movie as probably the best Batman film, just in general. Like you know, we'll always be we'll always be around to talk about the Dark Knight, Batman, Batman Returns, all of them. Batman Begins, but I think Mask of the Phantasm really captures what this character is as a person down to his core. Like any of the great animated series episodes as well, yeah. you know, um, a lot of these episodes have more of a holistic. You know, I, I would say this. I definitely the same about Mask of the Phantasm. Mm-hmm. And if they had another 40 minutes dropped onto them, I think you can make the case for that for Heart of Ice, Feet of Clay. Um, now, Two-Face Part 2... Now, Two-Face is 40 minutes long, but, t- like, 15 of those are nothing's happening. So, I don't know. But, yeah. anyway, Two-Face, Two-Face Part 1, yes. Two-Face Part 1 is, oh, my God, you can make things like this ever? And then Two-Face Part 2 is, oh, yeah, it's a Batman cartoon. Which is not bad because, again, it's a Batman cartoon. Right. Exactly. One last note. One la- unless, do you have anything you want to add to this? Uh, I am tapped out. I have, I have said my notes. Uh, one, last, one last thing that I think is important to Batman. I've been sipping on a beer throughout this uh, call called, I get called, kid you not, Origin of Darkness. Oh my god. <laughs> Origin of Darkness. That's yeah. amazing. And it's also a good beer. Tastes Very... like murder. It's a stout, all right. Uh, yeah, uh, five out of five. But we all, saw, yeah. we all knew that comment. We all knew that. It's, my Letterbox review uh, for this episode literally says, it is a 76-minute long episode of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, how else did you think this would go? Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> even if you don't, even if you don't know us as well as you know some of the other people listening to this do, it's like yeah, this is. Look, it's I, I mean, it's on what this I think. conversation. <laughs> this He's conversation a- took a turn the minute it started that let you knew that we were going down this road. Oh yeah. <laughs> just plus, to, this. I was just gonna say you just have to listen to our voices to know. Oh, these guys love this. Oh, they love this. Also, this will be one of our. I think this is one of our longest episodes ever. <laughs> possibly i don't know i'll edit that out anyway um so obviously two five out of fives it's batman mask of the phantasm uh what's there not to love do you have hbo max good go watch it it's great um i would recommend you check out batman the animated series oh of course just Um, in general watch that because it's awesome it just rips but actually mask of the phantasm also gives you a really great introduction to the character 
Mm-hmm. Um, although you don't see the Waynes murdered in Crime Alley, uh, they got murdered. Okay. Yeah. You've seen it. He stares up a, um, at a big photo of them and is very sad. And then you see him at their grave. I think you know that he's a, he's a little upset about this. I'd argue you get an even better origin out of the love story here. Oh, yes. Than just, my parents are dead. Uh, the ninja guy told me to kill people. And now I'm, I'm, I dress up like a bat. Having, um, having, having the initial tragedy that gave birth to this idea and then have the follow through of you will never be happy. I could, I could see why someone would be a little irate, a little upset after these events in, in one's life. Might be a little, little wild. Beamed. Well, so yeah, obviously both, and really the entire animated universe we recommend. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never seen Superman. I'm gonna fix that next year, but also great. Um, also great. Also all of them great. are great. It's, it's good great. to be fine. <laughs> um, all right, so that is that is it. Amnesty Inc is over for 2021. Mm-hmm. But before we go, we have a bunch of different things to do, which we've decided right now live to do here. So very mm-hmm. exciting. Um, next week, there is no show. We're not even... We're going to do something. We're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, re, don't, do not come here. Uh, I don't want to say it like that. Do not come to our house. Let do me. not come asking for recordings. We're not giving you any. <laughs> we're closed for the holiday. Enjoy the time not listening to us. <laughs> Put on one of our um, older episodes. <laughs> Relive the we magic. Will return, we will return on January 5th. Um, and now the big moment. Jared, what is your pick for January 5th? Johnny Mnemonic. Are you fucking... Really? No way. Come on, Kevin. Don't don't tell me. Don't tell Are me. Are we doing was... it? Yeah. No, it's not at all. Oh, My okay. pick is crazy. This oh, show is going God, to be... Okay. okay. The reason I'm freaking out is because the show is going to be ridiculous. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> from what? our standards or in general wait until i tell you oh boy what is so what is the impetus for this why did you pick johnny mnemonic um keanu reeves sure in general two um the matrix four i've never seen this movie and i've heard some wild things and i would very much like to see it you know i feel the same way i've heard a ton of stuff i've never seen it and this is the perfect first movie for us you for know, next year do you know who's wait i'm i want to give everyone a little taste of why I picked it, mostly for the cast. I've kept the plot very quiet. I, I know it's insane. I don't want to think about it. I just want to let yeah, it Yeah, let's just get there. Me. Okay, Keanu Reeves is in it. Dolph yes. Lundgren. Ice-T. Henry Rollins. <laughs> and, here's the, and here's the one that's like, oh, that's why Jared picked it. Takeshi Kitano is in this movie. Get the fuck out of here. God King Takeshi Kitano. Um. So, yeah, that's a... Uh, that's why I want to watch this movie. Oh, also, Ice T's character in this is named is named J Bone. So oh, you know shit. it's going to be a five out of five for me at least. Th- this is going to be quite an episode, Jared. All right, so oh, boy. Jared's pick for January fifth is Johnny Mnemonic. Um, wow. All right, all right. Let's let's hear. Swing the bat, right. tycoon. So this is a movie that you and I have both expressed wanting to see. I've been wanting to see it for a long time. It came out in jolly old England in 2019. And it was supposed to come out here last summer. And it did release. But the novel coronavirus made sure that no one could see it. It came to HBO Max this year. And I pushed off seeing it because I wanted to keep it for the perfect week for this show. 
So I thought, oh, the first week of January, kind of vaguely historical movie. Um, won't, wouldn't that be great? Hear this. It's by a director we enjoy immensely. It's a movie that is at about our new runtime limit we'll talk about in a minute at an hour and 59 minutes. It's been on our watch list forever. It's Armando Iannucci's adaption of Charles Dickens' classic, The Personal History of David Copperfield. Oh, fuck yes. Yes! Simon Blackwell, the co-creator of The Thick of... uh, Simon Blackwell, his frequent collaborator, co-wrote the film... We got Dev Patel, Peter Capaldi, Hugh Laurie, Tilda Swinton. What a life. Wow. What an episode. <laughs> wow. We're going to have fun. We're going to have a fun one. What an we? episode. Um, so come back January 5th. Jared and I will be right here. We'll be talking about Johnny Mnemonic and the personal history of David Copperfield. Now do you understand, listeners? Now do you understand? This is why. This is why. <laughs> I'm going to pass out from laughing after this. Oh, look, when I said like when I said let's hide our stuff from each other from now on, I didn't think it would deliver the first week. I had a feel I, I, I was looking at Johnny Mnemonic. And it's just OK. Whatever is paired with this is going to be funny. I did not anticipate how funny oh and how God. good it's going to be. Ugh, all right. Um, really quick, really quick. I have some really important announcements that we have to say before we say goodbye for the year. So number one, as we discussed the movies for, for January 5th are Johnny Mnemonic and The Personal History of David Copperfield. Going forward, except for October and some select weeks we'll tell you about in advance, we're not going to know what we pick. It's clearly part of the fun, and uh, it, it creates a lot of opportunities for us. Like Again, Jared, you said that you picked Johnny Mnemonic because Keanu Reeves, tis the season, and you'd always wanted to see it, and et cetera. So, so you never really know, and doing the picks like that, uh, leads us to exciting new places. In addition to that, why don't you recommend some movies to us and we'll listen to you and maybe we'll do them on the show. Amentypod at gmail.com. Please, please do. I would love to hear what you guys think we would enjoy or what we <laughs> wouldn't enjoy or what we would have an interesting opinion on. More important than enjoying something, if it's something you guys find interesting, please send it our way. Um, especially something new especially you guys that listen to the shows and talk at at us and me about the shows um because like your tastes are fascinating to me and i want to know what you what you're watching and what you recommend because trust me uh a lot of some of the people listening what you're watching does influence some of these picks coming up at least in january and february uh for me mm-hmm. so let us know amntpod at gmail.com um, so I also wanted to say one more thing coming to the show and then a major announcement for Ammonite Inc. Um, first, one of the biggest issues we ran into last year was when we tried to do Pirates of the Caribbean two and three in the same week, um, <laughs> which if you remember, Pirates two is nine hours and Pirates three is 15 hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result, we're instituting what I'm calling the Davy Jones rule. So... I have the time limit, Jared, that the movie can be no longer than two hours and 15 minutes. Does that seem fair? Should we do two and a half? Mm. Uh, I think two and a half. I think two and a half, two and a half and beyond is definite. Two, two, uh, two hours and 15 and two and a half hours. I think we'll just play that by ear and like we'll pick certain ones. 
look, there are that, some movies that are that long that we could do in a double feature. Yeah. But we're not going to do Heat and another movie or The Dark Knight and another movie. Um, what about Dark Knight and Heat? Well, my my, my point the, exactly. Well, well, we just get, get lost. Mixed up. We, just, <laughs> we get we get lost in a great ass. God, um, it was so weird when when uh, Batman threw Al Pacino into a glass <laughs> window and started beating the crap out of him. <laughs> oh man! Oh, Don't talk about Rachel that way. What if only we, we we had a venue to talk about the greatest movies ever made in our eyes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, like. the Davy Jones rule is for movies like that. Movies that cannot be contained within a half of a main event segment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, beginning next month and every month except October, on the third week of the month, one of us will pick a movie that is longer than two and a half hours. Or, again, the density is such that we couldn't talk about it with another movie. Um, in the interest of introducing the example, I will reveal that I am first, and the first Davy Jones rule movie is Milos Forman's 1984 epic Amadeus. I'm so happy. Yeah, Jared's been uh, Jared's been pushing me to watch Amadeus for what feels like years and years, and this is again just like Johnny Mnemonic and David Copperfield, <laughs> the it's culmination of uh, of a dream. Oh. Amadeus is going to be fun. Adore that movie. <sighs> oh, my God. All right. Last but not least, you know, here at Amadeus Inc., we have a lot of dreams. And occasionally those dreams, we try them out, and the dreams are not what we mean them to be. Um, we so thought, we naturally, we relegate them to an alternate Earth. Correct, right? Wouldn't belong. it be fun to do a Hanna-Barbera podcast? Bam! Banished to an alternate dimension. We don't talk about it. We never did a Hanna-Barbera podcast. What's Hanna-Barbera? Exactly. But in talking about stuff a few months ago, um, Jared and I had an idea of what if we said screw it and played the hits? (laughs) 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 Right? Wouldn't you agree that's what this is? So um, next week we'll be dropping some art on our socials, so look out for that. But coming in the first quarter of next year on a monthly basis, I believe, at least to start, uh, will be Ammonite Inc.'s second podcast, Midlife Post-Crisis. Uh, it's a show by two men turning 30, about 25 of the greatest years in comic books, 1985 to 2011, in, uh, the, publishing, in the publishing history of DC Comics. Yeah. Uh, I'd go as far to say it's probably the, their best period of pure quality. Think about... Think about pretty much anything you know of the modern era, anything you know from movies and TV and all of that, and I would argue it all comes from this period. Oh, yeah. There are some sprinkles here and there from the past, and those are very important, but what you know of the characters exists purely from this period of time. Everything Frank is Miller's Frank Miller's Batman. Year one. Uh, John, Burns, John Burns' Superman. George Perez and God love and help and protect him. George mm-hmm. Perez's Wonder Woman, right? Crisis on Infinite Earths and the crises that follow. The Death and Return of Superman, Nightfall, Gotham Central, 52, The Sandman, The Saga of the Swamp Thing, Doom Patrol, Mark Wade's Flash. Think of all the things you know today from movies and TV. They have roots in all of this. And we're going to touch on 
as many of them as humanly possible. And humans are capable of many things, so I have great faith in us. We're doing fucking Starman, baby. Hell yeah. We're doing Starman. Jack Knight. <laughs> I'm, finally gonna, I'm finally sitting Kevin down to read Hitman, so this is a big win for me. Big W yeah. here. For me, you know, Jared and I became friends because of our love for comics, and Jared has, has shown me a lot of stuff, and there's still a lot of stuff that I just haven't seen. And I know there's a lot of stuff I love that Jared hasn't seen either, so it's going to be a really fun time. And we hope that as you come here to hear us talk about Johnny Mnemonic and David Copperfield, uh, you will continue to come with us as we go on that journey as well. We, we would love, for any comic book fans out there, we would love to hear anything you would want covered. There's a solid chance we already have it written down, but you know, a little... uh. Just know, knowing that knowing that you're interested in something specific would definitely be nice. Yes, any kind of requests. I mean, if you can think of something, I think I've thought about it. Um, the name's not coming to me, unfortunately, but like that Del Close series, I did find it online. Sandman Mystery Theater, we're doing it. Hell yeah. Um, uh, sorry, now I have to throw out some names to let people know. Yeah. Uh, Watchmen, Camelot 3000. Oh. We're going to do the pre-crisis Judas Whatever it is, the Judas, Judas conspe- whatever the one, the Judas contract, the Teen Titans will do that story. I don't know if we're going to do the whole run, but if you have something you want to do, we're going to have our own email address for that down the road. But for now, send it to amntpod at gmail.com uh, and put put uh, midlife post crisis or MLPC in the subject line. And uh, yeah, we'll have art rolling out on our socials and stuff um, in the weeks to come. And We'll have more details on that as we get closer to its release. Again, that's going to be in the first quarter of next year, and it's going to be really exciting. Oh, yeah. I am i don't know about you, Kevin, but this is like... I've been waiting to do this for years. It's like, all right, this is... We're going we're gonna to do it eventually. We just have to be ready for it, and uh, we're ready. I spent a lot of... Not to get too weepy and reflective and Kevin Smith-esque here at the end, but... I've been doing a lot of overthinking in this project, Jared, about if we're ready to do things. And I've decided that we're, first of all, we'll never be ready to do anything. We just got to do it. Um, And this is the project. So I'm like jumping out of my skin excited. I'm looking at the waveform in my Audacity file and I'm seeing it become real. And that's kind of freaky. Um. But now it's real. Now it's out there. Now people know, and it's happening. So exciting! Mm-hmm. We got no choice but to continue to entertain, do a little dance, say some funny hey, words. Look, that guy made buttons, right? Yo, yo! I still want so. one. I want two. <laughs> I want all of them. We should. Actually. We should make some. Yeah, I'd hate we to should have make them. some uh, midlife post-crisis centric buttons. <laughs> okay think about this that. and this will give you some idea of what we're covering i buried jimmy olsen um <laughs> etc superboy uh an ent- a superboy prime at his computer getting really angry on the for on the dc forums oh man can you can we do a t-shirt where it's oh no we can't because it's michael jackson but i would love the <sighs> metropolis kid as michael jackson from the beat it video that's a really good idea. 
Uh, well, Damn. we'll talk about it off air. All right. So everybody, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we have to, it's 11, 12 PM in America right now. So it's time for us to go to bed. But, um, uh, mm-hmm. again, from the bottom of our hearts, I think I can speak for you, Jared. When I say thank you all, um, Brandon Scaglioni, his favorite characters in Harry Potter are Mr. Mason, Nicholas Flamel, and the bossy guy from the screw factory. I think. Um, feel free to DM me, Brandon, if I messed it up, but you've been telling me to say it on air for six weeks, and this is my Christmas gift to you. I have said it. Those are your favorite. You love Nicholas Flamel. Jared, I know you're laughing pretty hard right now, but do you have any parting words for our pals in the Ammonite Nation? <laughs> Good night, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Uh, Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we'll see you in 2022. Not all.